Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Look, we're still in our series, What is Jesus Doing? And I want you to every day see the hand of God at work in your world and in your life because Jesus is doing stuff and he's using you. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus is serving drinks. We're going to talk about how he satisfied the life of a broken Samaritan woman How and now how in and through you, he wants to minister to and satisfy the people around you. And you're going to see that this one woman's transformation led to a citywide revival. Could that happen again? Come on, let's get into the word. What is Jesus doing? That's what we're doing. Last week we talked about what is Jesus doing. Had a little quote from this guy. This guy said, I know man. And I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Jesus Christ is no mere man. This guy said, I know man. And Jesus Christ is no mere man. Last week we talked about the storm. Jesus said, let's cross over. They got in the boat and Jesus went into a deep sleep. Just just out, and a storm came up. Suddenly, a vicious attack on them. These guys knew the lake, and yet they were terrified. They said, we're going to die. What was the word of the Lord to them? Let's cross over. Let's cross over. What's the word of the Lord to you? Whatever the word of the Lord to you, doesn't matter what blows up in your circumstances, God will honor his word over you. So don't doubt, don't fear, don't turn sideways. Trust him because he's going to be faithful, right? But you see, Jesus got up, and he just went, hush, boom. He just spoke, and everything. I mean, the silence was violent. The silence was such a contrast. It was so shocking. You went from a violent tempest blast that you were sure you were going to die to everything. It was a dead calm. Every element, everything responded to his voice and it shut up. And what happened with the disciples? They were like, whoa, go Jesus, go Jesus. Hey, hey, go No, you know what they were? It says they were greatly terrified. And what did they say? What kind of man is this? You see, that's what this fellow was saying. He was saying, I know men, but Jesus is no mere man. And let me tell you something. You're not a mere man or a woman either. The apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, he said, I'm I'm saddened that I have to write to you as mere humans. I get people sometimes go, well, pastor, I'm only human. I said, actually, that's not true. You are a partaker of divine nature. You are not merely human. There is a human element to you without a doubt, but you are a partaker of divine nature. You are a overly blessed, saturated, baptized in the Holy Ghost believer. You are a temporal of the Holy Ghost. Wherever you go, God Almighty is walking with you. So you're not merely human. And see, who is this? And that's why Jesus was upset. He said, where's your faith? Like, where was your faith? Guys, I could have been napping. You could have taken a nap with me. One of you could have got up and said, hush. As he is, so are we in this world. And I tell you, it's our turn. I mean, Jesus went up to heaven. He gave the Holy Ghost a high five. He said, you go invade every one of them and loose a massive tribe of Holy Spirit-filled believers to fill the earth with the glory of God. What kind of man is this? That's what people should be saying about you. People should be I don't know, I don't know what kind of man that is. You know, it should be that, that they're trying to figure out, we're, you know, I can remember in the 80s, we were in a recession, and I worked for a branch of Nedco up in Markham, and our branch was hopping busy, just hopping busy. I mean, we, we in that time of recession, three times we had to move to a larger location because the business there just kept expanding. And, and you know, they're going, man, I don't know what's going on. But they used to joke at us, must be you believers praying for us. I said, it is us believers praying for you. As I met with uh, two other guys, we met every morning before work and we prayed that God would bless 
our branch, that God would favor our branch, that God would give us beautiful inroads into the people we worked with. And we prayed every day before we went to work and our business in the middle of an absolute famine going on in the land. Our business continued to prosper and continued to grow. And they literally were like, yeah, it's probably because you guys are praying for us. They said, that's a truth right there. You know, people should know there's something going on in this business, and I think it's you. Just like, you know, they found out, you know, found out why my home was blessed is because Joseph is in my home. Found out why my home was blessed, it's because uh, Jacob was in his home. He said, I found out through divination why I'm multiplying, and it's because of your presence in my world. You know what? Our presence is a presence of the Holy Ghost. It's a transforming presence that'll just bring the glory of God wherever we are. Amen. Please settle down. Please. Please. All right. You ready? I know a man. I know a man, but Jesus, he'd know near man. He says, uh, in no possible terms, there is a comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I, we have founded empires. But on what did we rest our creations or our genius? Upon force. They forced their way upon people as dictators and horrible men. But upon what did Jesus found his empire? Upon love. Say love. Love. Yes, Lord. Love, and it is now, this hour, millions of people would die for him. That was Napoleon Bonaparte. What a wonderful piece of theology from a brutal little dictator. I know a man, and he's no mere man. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, 13, for those of us who believe, any believers here today? Are there any believers here today? For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest, because I am not trying to get it done, it's done. I get a little concerned sometimes with songs we sing that we're begging God's love to invade, and when I'm reading that, I know God's love will invade. You know, God's love did invade, you know? And, and I know the, the, the manifestation of it may not be there, so I'm praying for that to come, but I tell you what, God has sent his love. He hasn't taken it back. He has sent his power and authority. He has not taken it back. God God has won a precious victory for us, and we are walking in that victory right now. I go from glory to glory, good to good, strength to strength, better to better. That's why I am condemned to a life of victory every day. I'm not trying to get it. I'm not hoping for it. I'm walking in it. One of the, one of the saddest things is a bunch of people thinking that we're waiting for God to do one more thing before we can be powerful. You are powerful right now. Hey, who am I preaching to? Are you here? confident rest because it's done hebrews 4 11 so that we must be eager to experience this faith rest life this faith rest life i'm not striving or struggling i don't have to strive or struggle for any of these things i don't have to battle to try to bring something into manifestation you know what the greatest hindrance to healing is today the greatest hindrance to healing is that we actually think there's a hindrance to healing let me say that again the greatest hindrance to healing today is that we actually think there's a hindrance to healing. Because if you think there's a hindrance to healing, you'll behave like there's something else I got to do. I got to check one more box or three more boxes and I'll finally win the healing lottery. Healing was provided for you in the finished work of the cross. And if you don't understand that and are not absolutely going to receive that, you got a revelation problem. You don't have a healing problem. You got a revelation problem. Hey, that was kind of harsh, pastor. It's the truth. I mean, you got to look at the word and you got to decide, did he say it or didn't he? 
I mean, did he or didn't he? And then you know what? How do you know your sins are forgiven if your body can't be healed? How do you know any of it works if you don't believe that? You know, we got to have unwavering confidence in the word of God, and we got to insist that it's manifest in our lives. So between the manifestation and now, I will hang on, I will dig deep, and I will not let go, but I'm not ever going to say, he's holding out on me. I believe I am healed in Jesus' name. Wow, I don't know why I did that. That wasn't in the first service. Some people said they liked it so much they're going to go home and watch again. Well, good for you. So you got some fresh bread. All right. So that we must be eager to experience this faith, rest, life, so that no one falls short of it by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. There's literally a massive exhortation here. He's saying, listen, there's a rest for us to enter into. There's a rest of faith for us to enter into right now, and we got to be eager to do it. I mean, literally, one translation says, be afraid not to. I mean, all over the Bible, it says, fear not. But there's one place where the Word of God commands you to fear. Be afraid not to enter into the finished work the rest of God. Don't let doubt and unbelief frame your life. Insist on the rest, the complete victory of Christ being manifest in your life. All right, that was fun right there. All right, we got a picture right here of one of my favorite guys, Nicodemus. Say Nicodemus. Preached on him before I called it Nick at night. Nick at night. Nicodemus, who was he? He was a ruler of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was a a scholar of the word of God. He was a ruler of the Jewish people. Now, Nicodemus made an appointment with Jesus late at night. And he came to Jesus late at night because Nicodemus didn't want the people to think that he was following Jesus. He was curious, but he didn't want anybody to know he was curious. So he made an appointment late at night to check this Jesus guy out. So Nick came at night. That's why it's Nick at night. But Nick, a religious guy who was empty, he was dry. He said, I, I, I want kingdom. I want eternal life. How do I get that? And Jesus said, I can't believe you, a scholar of the word of God, don't understand this. I mean, it's very clear. You must be born again. He's like, what? And here's a scholar of the word. Somebody who should understand this and say, what are you talking about? Do I crawl back into my mother's womb? That's just weird. What do you mean, Jesus? Jesus, I can't believe you don't understand. It said in the word in Ezekiel, it said in Jeremiah, it said, I am going to come. You could never do this. All your righteousness is filthy rags. All your attempts to be righteous, all your attempts to have a relationship with God, all of it is rubbish. Filthy rags, literally it means it's menstrual cloths. All of it is rubbish. All of your attempts to be pleasing to God, to somehow make it, God, look at me, didn't I have a good day? I'm worthy of your blessing today. Rubbish. He said, if you want the kingdom, here was a guy who was a good Pharisee. Jesus said, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's why most people gave up on church because the standard was set so high. They were at least being honest. I'll never do it. There's two types of people. They're actually honest saying, I need help. Or there's the other people faking it, thinking, I'll fake it till I make it. There's only one way for you to experience the kingdom. You must be born again. And it's not the act of a man. It's not even you. It's an act of God. You're born from above. And here's how simple it is. Jesus gave him an analogy. Here's how simple it is. Nicodemus, ready? There was a type, and you know all about it because you've memorized the whole Pentateuch. So listen, 
Put your mind in this story. How did they get rid of that disease? Remember when he put a serpent? What is the serpent? The serpent was a curse. The serpent was the fall. The serpent represented all the brokenness of mankind. They put the serpent on a stick and they hung it up in the wilderness and everybody who looked lived. So what do you got to do to come into the kingdom? You got to look and live. Can you look? Can you look and live? Can you look in the face of the good news of the gospel and say, thank you? Because that's it. You must be born again, born from above. Not, not born because you made a decision, but born because he made a decision that I'm nuts about you and you shall be born again. Amen. I'm going to give you a new spirit and I'm going to put my spirit in you. And that's what he told Nicodemus. They had a lovely theological discussion. And he was telling Nicodemus, how do you become a child of God? That was religious people, Nick at night. Jesus was going to religious people. And then in chapter four, he goes to probably one of the most broken people on the face of God's earth. So we have John, the writer John gives us two chapters and he puts them in juxtaposition to each other. He puts them side by side. So you can see how did Jesus minister to the self-righteous? How did Jesus minister to the broken of the broken? And we're going to talk about how he ministered to the broken of the broken now. All right. Say thank you, pastor. All right, so here we are. We got the woman at the well. So there he is. He goes. He's with Nicodemus. And then the next event is, boom, he's headed off to Samaria. What I love about this is he says, I must go through Samaria. Religious leaders of Jesus, they didn't go through Samaria. Jews didn't go through Samaria. They hated Samaritans. There's Gentiles, there's Jews, and then there's Samaritans, and we despise Samaritans. Samaritans are those people who stayed back in the land when we went into captivity, and when they stayed in the land, they married the people in the land. The very reason we went into captivity was mixed racial marriages and those things, and because those guys did that, that is the filthy thing that caused us to go into captivity. So those people are disobedient. When they came back to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans said, hey, we want to help. They said, get out of here, you filthy things, and they wouldn't let them join in. So the Samaritans had to make a little temple on their own little mountain. They had to develop their own little worship system because the self-righteous people wouldn't let them in. Sounds a little bit about church today. You're not good enough to be in our community. How are you? Are you okay? So the religious people said, we don't go through Samaria. Got a little map there. Here it is, little map, you ready? So that's the green one is where Jesus went. He went right smack dab through the center of Samaria. He went right to Jacob's well. See, the little, there's a little gray line around. Everybody crossed the Jordan. They went around the other side and they came back in the other side. You do not go through Samaria. I don't even want to be on the ground where Samaritans live. I don't even want to be close to where Samaritans are. We don't like Samaritans in any form, in any way. But Jesus said he needed to go. Another translation says, I must go through Samaria area. There's some things you must do. There's some people you must go invest in. There's people that you got to open your eyes to. I must go through Samaria. I must go through Samaria. Warren Wearsby in his commentary, he said, so intent was their dislike, intense was their dislike for the Samaritans that some of the Pharisees prayed that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. I hate them so much that when we step into eternity, I don't want one of those filthy beggars there. I don't want one Samaritan messing up the eternal kingdom of heaven. Can I get an amen? I don't want those people there. Those people are abomination. Those people will never inherit the kingdom. I don't want any of those people there. I will not befriend them. I will not have discussions with them. I will not reach out to them in any way. I hope none of them get to heaven. In fact, they won't. They're evil. They're awful. I must go through 
Samaria. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus took these young Jewish boys. He took them down a road they'd never traveled before. And here they are. Here's the teacher. Here's the guy we're following. We gave up our careers, gave away all my possessions, my fishing boat, all my equipment. I left the tax collector desk. I left everything. I now am fully on. He's it. All my chips are in. Jesus. And now he's taking us through Samaria. Oh, my goodness. He's lost his mind. This divine detour was designed to confront in them, to confront in them. Listen to this beautiful phrase. You ready? Their learned culture of generational bigotry. Their learned culture of generational bigotry. You're not born a bigot. You learn it. You're not born to despise other people. You're not, you're not born to think of other people as less than you. You were born, it's in your DNA to love. It's not in your DNA to fear. You have to learn fear. You're born with love. Caroline Leaf talks about that in her book, saying fear is a learned behavior. Bigotry is a learned behavior. And if we're going to do what is Jesus doing? Jesus is walking into difficult situations, and he's manifesting love to people that you might avoid. So what are you going to do this week? Jesus is going to take you into a place you're going to go, how did I get here? Jesus. Jesus is leading you into situations, leading you to people that normally you wouldn't give the time of day. We don't need to protest the people we don't like. We need to make friends with them. I don't mind a good protest. I've protested. When they had the first Morgan Taller Clinic in Toronto, and I was a young man, I, we weren't allowed to say anything publicly. I got on my knees. I crossed in front of traffic. I crossed on my knees. I crossed the road with a gag in my mouth, and I crawled all the way across the road, and I knelt right there at the gate, right there at the entrance to the first abortion clinic in our country. And I went, God, forgive us. God, be gracious to us. And so, I mean, I've done my fair bit of all that stuff. But at the same time, I'm going to talk with these people. I'm going to engage with people. I'm going to get into a relationship. I want to understand where, where you guys at. What's going on? And I want to be in the conversation. And I want them to realize that my first connection with you isn't I hate you. My first connection with you, my first engagement with you, oh my God, here comes a Christian. Those freaking loser haters. No, you're going to run into me and you're going to run smack dab into the love of Jesus. I may not understand you. I may absolutely brutally disagree with your view of life. But you know what? I love you. Could it possibly be that we, through engaging and having relationships with people who are different from us, those one-on-one -on -one encounters and testimonies could change the world? I don't know. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering if it's possible that we could actually love our enemies. Gee, is that in the Bible? I'm wondering if we could possibly try some of that stuff. How are you guys doing? I'm sorry. I'm feeling like it's the second service and I don't have a time barrier. So I'm just kind of rambling at your expense. I'm just having fun at your expense. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking advantage of your kindness. Thank you. All right, I'm going to move along, all right? The divine detour was designed to confront their learned culturation. I just made up a new word, culture and generation together, culturation of bigotry. Three results of following Jesus, you ready? You'll find yourself moving towards things you usually avoid. 
how did I get here? You'll find that your worldview is going to be challenged. You'll gain a greater capacity to express. You ready for this? You ready for this? I don't think we even get this word. We should look it up and stick it on our foreheads. Listen, unconditional love. I still, I'm still having a hard time with that. There's people who annoy me, and I'm having a hard time. I got to confess. But you know what? If you're going to walk with Jesus and you're going to say every day, what is Jesus doing? You're going to find your world is going to shift. And it's okay. Don't throw out your little wristband. It's going to be good for you. Say amen. Tell your neighbor, come on. Tell your other neighbor, come on. Tell the person behind you, you're my third choice. Let's go. We're going to go through John chapter 4. Be afraid. We're going through the whole chapter. Not all of it. Taking a little bit out just for you. All right? So he came to the city. He must go through Samaria. So he came to Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, he sat thus by the well. Or as the authorized version says, the King James Version says, he sat on the well. So we have Jesus, who is the well, the source of every living thing, the living water himself, the supply of all things. I am the bread of heaven. I am the water of life. I, the I am sits on the well. There's natural supply. There's natural satisfaction at this well. But it's a satisfaction that does not last. You got to keep coming back. 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 But you see, Jesus is a well that you take a drink of Jesus. And inside of you will be birthed a fountain of life that you'll never have to drink again because in you will be a fountain that will spring up into eternal life and it won't be just enough for you. It'll overflow the banks of your life. It'll transform everything within a radius of your existence. Hey! So Jesus is on the well. Jesus is on the well. It's about the sixth hour. What is the sixth hour? The sixth hour, the day starts for them when the sun rises. So the day starts and six hours later, it's noontime. So this is noontime. I'll praise him in the morning. I'll praise him in the noontime. So it's the noontime. And this woman is going to get water in the noontime. What's happening in the noontime? The religious guy came sneaky at night. Because he thought he was self-righteous, but I'll just check this Jesus out. But the broken woman, it's in the middle of the day, in the heat of the sun, he has an encounter with a woman who may even be the most broken woman on the face of God's earth. And he sees her in the light of day. And she's coming to a well to get water. I'm just You can read it yourself. I'm just going to go on. She's coming to the well to get water in the sixth hour of the day. And Jesus sent his disciples away to go to Subway and get him a snack. So they're like, what's going on? We're going through Samaria. You'd think Jesus would have packed the lunch. I mean, at least if you're going to take us through this messy place, pack a lunch. This could take a couple of days to get through here. And now we got to go to Subway in Samaria. Can you believe it? Not only am I going to go on these people's land, but Jesus wants me to actually interact with some of them. I got to go to the store. I got to talk to one of them. Ah! So he sends that off and he's there alone and he's sitting on the well and there's a woman in the middle of the day. Why is she there in the middle of the day? 
She's there in the middle of the day because she is a broken mess. In that culture, when do you get water? You get it in the morning and you get it in the evening. I was in India and that's what they did. The water would magically just poof. It would start to flow first thing in the morning and it went off. And then it started flowing again at night. If you wanted drinking water, you had to be there then and be there later. But you see, these folks, they got hot during the day. You didn't want to carry your jars back home in the heat of the day. So they would come in the morning and they would come at night. But she came at the sixth hour because she did not want to see anyone because she was sick of being berated and being being talked down to and, and that accused she was a moral outcast in her culture and I don't want to see anyone. Am I talking kind of loud? I watched myself this week and I said, you got to settle down. I said, man. I was saying to myself, I'm going to be more conversational today and just chill out a little. Maybe not. So here she is. Now, how many know Madonna? You know Madonna? Am I too old for you? How many know who Madonna is? Like a virgin. What a horrible song that is. It's the only one I know, but just because it was... Anyways, let's stop there. Anyway, you got Madonna coming to a bank. She's there, and there's only one teller open, and there's only one person there. And how many know Donald Trump? I'm not picking on anybody's politics or anything. I'm just using an analogy. You got Madonna, and she's got to go to the teller, and the teller is Donald Trump. How many think Madonna's going to be, whoo, this is great? She's going to be a little anxious and go like, oh, is there anybody else working here today? Anyways, this woman comes to the well, and what she finds at the well is there's a man there, not just a man. A man is bad enough in their culture. Men don't talk to women. Men don't care about women. If I got to choose between my cow and my wife, I choose my cow. I don't educate my wife. I don't educate my daughters. They have no privileges whatsoever. They go get water. They clean the house. They cook. They do all this stuff. They're just chattel. They're just something I own. So it's bad enough that it's a man because men have no use for women. So she's in the man on my well. Then she sees and she recognizes it's a Jewish man and she sees it's some rabbi or some teacher sitting on the well. And so she's going through all of this emotional, you know, gymnastics in her mind and she approaches and then all of a sudden that man, that guy, he says to her, hey, give me a drink. Could you give me a drink? Now, I don't know about you. I was out for dinner, had a lovely dinner on Friday night, but I had water glasses in front of me and the person across from me, I said, is this one yours or mine? I just want to determine that right now because I like to drink out of my glass. I don't like anybody else drinking out of my glass. My glass is my glass. So let's figure out right now whose is whose and they shall never get mixed up. Can I get an amen? But I mean, for me, that if, if you're going to get somebody to drink out of a cup, that's pretty intimate. You know? So he said, hey, could you give me a drink? And she's like, what? I mean, you, a Jewish, a man, are talking to me, a woman of Samaritan, and you want me to give you a drink. I mean, oh my goodness, give me a drink. So Jesus answered her, and he said to her, if you knew the gift of God, say gift of God. Say gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, said if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, you would say, give me a drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. And the woman said, and you got to understand, a woman has been beat up, you know, spurned and frustrated. And you got somebody who's bitter and hurt and stuff like that. I don't mind you, sir. I am annoyed that you're here. But if you want to pick a fight with me, we're going to have one. So she chirped back, said, dude, you, you got nothing to draw with. How are you going to give me a drink? What are you talking about? 
And so she decides, if you want to have the argument, let's go. You got nothing to draw with there, dude, and the well's pretty, pretty deep. So where then are you going to get this living water? Are you greater then? Then she gets into religion, said, I'm a Presbyterian, you're a Baptist. Said, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank for it himself as the well of his sons and for his livestock? And Jesus answered her, and he said, whoever, say whoever. It's the same today, whoever. Are you here, Whoever. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. You try to satisfy your needs from this world. You try to get your needs satisfied by anything that this world offers. And you're going to have to go back again, back again, back again. And then finally, once and for all, you're going to realize that this is making me more miserable. This doesn't help me. Everything will leave you destitute and helpless. Nothing will satisfy the real need of your life, which is a meaningful, real, tangible relationship with your heavenly father. That's what you need. That's what everybody out there needs. I was driving with Dylan down here. We're trying to get here because Dylan had to get the sound working and stuff like that. We're driving down the road and we're looking and there's a woman on Hamilton Road running down the road, hair flying. Just, ah. I wasn't sure she had a gun, a knife. I wasn't sure what she had in her hand, but I went, Lord Jesus, help that woman. And Dylan, oh, we got to go to church, Dad. I'm like, man, I don't know what's going on with that poor lady, but what a broken life. See, there's somebody, I don't know, on a Sunday morning, you know, at quarter after eight in the morning, running down the street, screaming at everything that moves. You know who I saw? I saw a little girl who was born with hopes and dreams. I saw somebody's daughter, might even be somebody's mother. But I saw somebody who had real hopes and real dreams for a satisfying life, who on Sunday morning was running like a mad person, totally desperate and broken. That wasn't what she'd hoped for. That wasn't her dreams when she was a child. And yet there's a complete messed up, broke down, desperately thirsty life. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that she would get a drink. That's actually the name of my sermon is Jesus is serving drinks. You'll thirst again, but if you drink of this water, look what it says. It says, but the water that I will give you will become in him. What will happen? Jesus will give you a drink, and here's what happens. That drink will become in you. It will become in you. It will, be, it will not become a drink to go, ooh, that was good. I'm going to go back for more of that. No, that's not what he said. He said, you'll always want this drink. No, he said, the drink that you take from me, it will become in you. Say in you. Slap your belly. You know what happens when you believe in Jesus? You know what happens when you take a drink of the very life-giving flow of Jesus? It literally says a well is established in you that will spring up into eternal life. What happens is you don't get a compulsory, got to come for another drink, got to take my religious drink again, take another religious drink. No, you get an insatiable living fountain of eternal life that is planted in your belly, that is overflowing the banks of your life, and not just changing your life, but changing everything around you no please settle down I mean in me spring up a well within my soul spring up a well and make me whole spring up a well within my soul I mean I got a well in me I, I don't got I better get another tip of Jesus somebody give me enough I need one more drink I'm on my last gasp I'm just about out of juice you have a ceaseless supply of his eternal life you got Christ in you the hope of glory you got a never ever running an ever running fountain that will never run out of God do you know who you are 
We keep begging for something we've already got. We keep saying, God, throw me a bone down here. It's tough. He says, I gave you the fullness of my life. I didn't give you a measure of myself. I filled you with all that I am. Jesus, in him a fountain of water springing up into your life. The woman said, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again, nor can I have to come here to draw again. And Jesus said to her, really weird turn, eh? really crazy turn. You ready? Give me a drink then. Okay. Call your husband. What's this? Uh, one of these faiths where I got to have my covering, my husband with me to get a drink? What's the deal with this? He says, look, I don't have a husband. He says, uh, that's not true. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with right now isn't even your husband. Then she went, wow, wow. Then the woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshiped here in this mountain, and the Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. So you as a prophet, tell me, where do I go to worship? How do I do this? What do I engage? What religious system must I embrace to have this living water? What do you do? And Jesus said, he said to her, woman, believe the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain or another mountain worship the Father. You will worship what we worship, what you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. Salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming is and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, in spirit, in the living spirit. God is spirit, and you must worship him in spirit. You must be born again in reality to have a relationship. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. How beautiful is that? Here's this woman beat down by life. I've had five husbands and now I'm living with a guy and my life's a total mess and I think the conversation was a little more than you've had five husbands. You had Rick and Fred, and sorry Rick, if you're here, Fred, if you're here, but you've had a lot of, you see a woman had no choice in that culture. You didn't choose who you got to marry. You were told who to marry. And then if that guy didn't like you, he got to kick you out, and that was fine. And then, like, who's going to marry some, you know, buddy used up piece of whatever? Isn't that rude and crude? But sure enough, somebody would, and somebody else would. Maybe one of them died. I don't know. But she had experienced brokenness five times in a row. She'd been discarded, and life had beat her up. And she was in the lowest of the low positions. Her life was so miserable, i go get water at noon because I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm sick of being the butt of everybody's jokes. I'm sick of people talking about me. I'm sick of being a social outcast. And now I gotta put up with this Jewish teacher. And now he says, go get your husband. What's amazing about that is they did ask that. You know, sometimes we think, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch the painful area in your life. I'm not gonna touch that area that's causing you the pain and the shame. But Jesus went there. He went there. And he dealt with that, and he ministered to the pain, and he ministered to the hurt. Now listen, I'm coming to a rapid conclusion. I thought I'd get at least an amen there. He said, when he comes, he will tell us all things. I love that confession. I love what she said. It shows that there's a deep hope in her heart. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. I, she's hoping for a Messiah. She's hoping for someone who's going to make sense of this whole big mess. My life is miserable, but I'm clinging to one thing. There's somebody going to come and make this better. And she's there, and suddenly this guy sitting there in the well who just prophesied her whole life to her, told her everything, and yet there she was hearing it all from him, and yet it wasn't shameful. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't condemning. It was somehow, as he spoke about my life, it healed me. It touched me. It ministered to me. And then I said, well, I'm believing for a Messiah. And he said, the one who's standing in front of you. And literally what he said was, he said, I am. I am. 
I am. You know when he said, I am, when the soldiers came to arrest him? He said, I am, and all the soldiers collapsed and went down. Because the revelation of the Christ will remove every obstacle. And when he said, I am, her life was totally transformed. I am. Here's a transformed life. I am the one who speaks. She was the first person in scripture that Jesus revealed his divinity to. Isn't that great? Jesus went out of his way to find the most broken person in the world that he could find in the most horrible situation he could find. And she was the first one who he said, I am the Christ. Ha! Even his disciples, it wasn't until much later he said, who do you guys think I am? But way before that, this little encounter with an individual person, John came back later and said, what were you talking to her about? I told her who I am, John. I am. The I am completely transformed her life. What are we doing here? We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. What is Jesus doing? There's so much pain and brokenness out there in the world. And we're just trying, God, would your love break through for me? It did break through for you. You're not begging for God to do something for you. You got a river of life in you. You got the divine presence of God. You got rivers of divine healing and miracles. And you are a dispenser of heavenly victory every day. We're ready to loose the kingdom. That's what we're doing. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is going to the most broken people. He's going to the most religious people. And he's bringing everybody a revelation of the kingdom of God. I who speak to you am he. And at this point, the disciples came back and they marveled, what on earth is he talking to this lady for? But nobody asked him because they're like, I'll leave that alone. The woman then, what'd she do? She had a water pot to take the life-giving water back to her home. What did she do with the water pot? What'd she do with the old system? What'd she do with everything else? She booted the old water pot and she ran back into town in broad daylight and she ran into the people that she didn't want to see and to all the people that she didn't want to see. She took everything that had ever happened in her life and she made it a platform and he shared with them the love of God. She used the brokenness and the platform of her life and said, come and see someone who told me everything I've ever done. Come and see he told me everything about me and yet it broke the pain off my life it shattered my brokenness and I've never felt so alive John 4 39 42 says and many Samaritans believed they believed they came to Jesus and they believed her word then it says the Samaritans went to Jesus and said would you stay for two days and the disciples went oh no we're gonna stay for two days I thought we're just passing through now we're gonna stay for two days but they had a living water conference for two days and the whole city got transformed. If you were away on vacation that week, you'd have come home and found out that the whole city now has been transformed and believes in some guy called Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the son of God. It all started, it all started with one lady and her brokenness. It all started with Jesus visiting her and bringing healing to her broken world. And then she, with courage, went and told everybody she knew. And then Jesus saw them all coming out of town. And when he saw them coming out of town to see him, he said, look, the fields are white unto harvest. Don't say so many days to the harvest. Look, guys, the harvest is ripe. And they all accepted Jesus. And then they said, stay for two days. And he taught for two days. And they had a living water conference and the whole city was transformed. There's people in your sphere. There's people in your circle right now. Jesus is reaching. Jesus is ministering to. Jesus has his eye on. And you know what? It's you. It's your turn. 
what is Jesus doing? You got you to gotta see God's hand in your life. You got to see, because I'm telling you, it could be just one person who could be the key to see the whole city of London turn back to God. And we got to quit worrying about what's wrong. And we got to realize that we got the power to make it right. We got to be dispensers of that heavenly favor. And we have to open our eyes to the people that are in our world. And you got to hear, God's going to say to you this week, you must go through Samaria. You must go through Samaria. Last verse there, he says, I've heard him and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior. I love this. We know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. So your freedom becomes a platform for manifesting city-transforming power of the grace of God. Jesus' encounter with this one broken woman brings a city into full revival. It's the power of your testimony. Last verse, Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. My witnesses, you shall be a martos. You will lay down your life for me. You'll give it away every day to me. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your hometown, in your home country, in Judea, and you'll go to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say that, does it? It says that you're going to be a witness in your hometown, you're going to be a witness in your home country, and you're going to go to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say that, does it? It says you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and oh yeah, let me remind you, you're going to go to Samaria. You're going to go to those places that you think you don't need to go. You're going to go to those places and people that you think you're qualified to despise. You're going to go to those broken situations. And I'm going to change the world when you wake up and you realize that when you address what you think is a problem and you baptize it with love, we're going to see the world change. Hey, that was a lot right there. That was a lot right there. Love your enemies. That's a tough one, isn't it? You know why it's a tough one? Because they're my enemies. I wish I didn't have any. Love, love. Napoleon Bonaparte said, Jesus didn't use force. He transformed the world with love. Napoleon Bonaparte said that. What do you say? What do you say? You got to go through Samaria. What, did I say one last verse? Did I say that already? All right, I got one more. This is really the last one. First John four thirty four. Jesus said to them, my food and my drink is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is Jesus doing? My food and my drink is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work.